as usual, just a reminder if if you're not if you'd rather if you have a question and you'd rather it wasn't recorded, then just let me know. I'll, I'll press pause on the recorder. Um, please, any, any, <coughs> right, yeah. Um, I've got a question about God. Yeah. Um, kind of been bothering me since the beginning of the retreat, really, and then today the nodes are particularly kind of related to the divine. And there's a lot of this kind of language in soul making, and I guess in many ways it's what draws me mm. to it. But I have a very tight relationship with God, kind of historically. Um, and so when, you know, language like um, angel or sacred reverence, I, I kind of feel that the energy world tightens. Mm. Um, and then a few days ago, I think you said something about how we have an allergy to the word God, you know, in these, in these scenes, some of us. Um, and that God is empty, like everything else. And that kind of helps with death. <laughs> <laughs> you need another fix. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So if you've got any, any magic words do you want uh, so so Marion's asking um, there's a lot of language of divine and deity and angel and reverence etc on this retreat and um, and partly correct me if I'm wrong here partly there's an attraction to that and it's kind of partly why you're here and at the same time there's a history with that kind of religious language and the whole idea of God that has been difficult and so that the, sometimes when you hear those words, um, there's a kind of something and you just clenches up and, and reacts. And certain ideas have been helpful in, in relation to that. For instance, the idea that God too is empty, and the divine is empty. And um, what was the other thing that helped? Well, that was it. That was it. Okay. <laughs> um, Do you want to say a little bit? You don't have to, but do you want to say a little bit more about what in particular is difficult about the idea of God? Or you, you don't have to. <coughs> it, it's just the, the idea of God being that you could use that would replace? If we say, what do we want to capture by that word? I mean, that's that's already an interesting question. It's like, what, in a way, the words are not so important. Um, how's the word sacred? Yeah, all that stuff, yeah. Boo. Yeah. Um, okay, so... If if I if we go conceptual for for a second, yeah. So so it's like it, it's hard to say if you ask someone someone who's comfortable with the word God or sacred or angel or divine and say, what do you mean by that? 
and you ask them, it's actually quite difficult for them to say anything uh, to kind of capture what they mean by it. Now, I would say that that uncapturability is probably one of the most significant things about those kinds of words, okay? They're open-ended. They're, they're sort of, they have a mystery to them. How's the word mystery? <laughs> Good, okay. Um, I don't mean Agatha Christie, right? <laughs> so, um, so uh, th- that's part of what's meant, this kind of an unfathomability, this kind of like, there's something, it's not that we can't say anything about it, about what divine is, but whatever we say is not going to kind of get it. And wrapped up in that, it's got a meaningfulness to us. And we can't even say quite what the meaningfulness means. So something that's kind of... I'm never going to get my head completely around it. I could say some things about it and some concepts. But somehow it's of it's of utmost value. And even though I can't define it, I can't capture it. It's, it's of utmost value to... Soul? <laughs> uh, to, to me. To you. <laughs> um... So there's something about this, this cluster of, if we just talk conceptually, this cluster of concepts, ultimate value, un, kind of ultimately undefinable, uncapturable, and, and meaningful, and, and mystery, and, and that, that kind of thing. So you could make up a word or, or words and kind of translate as we're going, but that's really where it's going. There, so what maybe happened in the past is that those words have come to be uh, not just associated with certain kind of punitive or restrictive measures, or, you know, I was also brought up in an orthodox environment, which I really didn't like, and um, for the most part. And um, it, it's almost like there's something about this whole business of soul-making that um, that will, we, we touched on it yesterday, will break vessels, including what, what any concept means, like divine God, or all that. So it, it's almost like if you know that's where you're going, then at the moment there's a kind of there's a kind of um, encrustation based on the past about what these words mean, not just the emotional, the relational associations with them, but also what they are. You know, I was brought up with a very kind of strangely narrow conception of God. You know, as the kind of judge and the and the sort of somehow separate from me. Um, and in a, at some point that has to get stretched or broken and maybe there's maybe I'm just confused for a while maybe there's a not knowing maybe uh but at some point it can kind of either that word or other words can come back to to kind of point to and suggest they function really as as much as anything as as poetry words you know poetic words to 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 suggest into the soul um so, you know something of this mystery that's uh, ultimately valuable and ultimately meaningful in a way that I can't quite capture. The other things worth saying about the notion of, let's say, divinity, <coughs> and, and some people would prefer like Buddha nature, and there's certain streams of Dharma that would, it, it's almost the same, uh, the idea of a kind of uh, ultimate cosmic deity to, to certain ideas of Buddha nature, that would be pretty much the same. Um, so there's this value, this ben- uh, benevolence is not really the right word, but um, something like that is is wrapped up in, in vaguely in the concept. Um, 
there's a way that it's also not separate from me, and I think that's very important as well. So that, again, um, I was brought up, if I just share about my background, there was no indication that um, the, the divine or God or whatever is, is not separate from me somehow. It was it was always it was always um, portrayed as some, something other that would judge me or dis- discern where I would end up or, or or something like that. There's this kind of separation there, yeah. So that's also part. This this is woven into the concepts non-separation. This kind of endlessness, um, uh, endlessness of sort of reverberation and unfathomability and all that, and. You know, you can hear a lot in the words I'm using. A lot of the other nodes, sort of, they, they kind of imply each other. Um, but that—that's the kind of thing we're going for. So it's it's much more open. And uh, does this make sense? So that's one way of just just knowing that actually, okay, this is this is completely normal. It could be around this concept. It could be around something else. It could be around body. It could be around emotions. It could be around relationship. It could be around what the cosmos is. It could be around what matter is. There's certain ways we get. We touched on this yesterday. Things are frozen by ideas or things that have happened to us or our personal history or our energetics or the way we relate to our emotions. All kinds of ways something gets stuck. If I can find ways of kind of entering into what we're calling soul making, any way in, so you don't even have to quite go in at this word that feels, these words that feel difficult, find something that does relate. And if it, it, the the kind of alchemy of that vessel, it's like the the yeast rises, something expands in in the kneading of the dough. And, and, and I shouldn't use cooking images because I don't know how I'm talking about, but, um, Something expands and and um, and it starts to gather into it other other aspects of the being that aren't aren't yet included. Did, should I say that bit again, is it, or is that okay? Say say it again or not? Yeah, say it again. Okay, so you don't. Here here's an issue. There's two ways of approaching it. Here's a difficulty. I come. I, we can approach it directly and inquire into the difficulty. I'll come back to that in a second. You can also kind of a little bit not bother too much about the difficulty and just go in with whatever makes sense and resonates to you out of what's being said here and what's being taught. Go in where there's a feeling of soul making, where there's that sense of soul making and and just get into that and let that speak to you, let that resonate in the being, psyche, whatever, and it will start um, doing its alchemical sort of expansion process in its own time and eventually there will, there will come, there will get included, subsumed into that process, all other aspects and concepts of the being at different levels that at the moment are outside of that process. So you can, you can just trust what works and trust that, well, we're going somewhere that is a, is gonna be whatever words you end up with, um, whatever works for you as concepts, quite different from what your background is. So in a way, you don't have to, uh, it's good that you recognize there's a problem there, but you don't have to kind of bash your head against it, right? So it, it could be anything. Maybe it's just um, uh, that actually works for you. You know, something about, I'm making this up, something about, or you could say, which which bit does work? 
Nature is probably yeah, okay, beautiful. So, so nature, there's a sense of soul making in nature, and you can sense nature with soul. You go that way, you trust that, and something happens that expands that will, what these words that we're using, and you might replace them with other words, but that kind of concept and idea and intimation that we're pointing to will come out of that soul making where it works for you. You understand? So this is a general, a general rule, yeah? And at times you may want to, for instance, um, inquire into the particular kind of pain in relationship to these words. So it's actually like, you know, in a safe space, maybe with someone you trust, maybe with a teacher, with a friend, actually drop those words in and just, you know, what is it? I get angry. What is it? I feel oppressed. I feel, and, and just notice what happens. And then what does that mean? So, you, as always, there's different directions in. You can, you don't, it's really helpful to look at what's difficult and explore what's going on for there. What are these walls that I have? Uh, and, and what do they need in terms of healing or opening, etc.? And sometimes we don't need to go towards the difficult. You can go the other way and trust the, this, um, rising of, of the bread there, this, this alchemical process, <coughs> where it works for you, which is what you're saying in nature. And does this make sense? It's, yeah? How does that sound for now, Mary? Yes. So it's helped me kind of take away the, the pressure. Yeah, there. absolutely. There's no pressure. There's you know, we're, first of all, we're going very quickly, you know, through through this business. And some of it just won't make sense. Or there'll be reactions, all kinds of reactions, you know. Um, it's all it's all fine. It's all part of the kind of working of the process, the turning of the soil and stuff. And you can really, you can trust your sense of soul making. That's like a golden rule and, 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 and go with that. And at some point, there might be some really interesting kind of, heartful investigation of of these kind of wounds basically around these ideas and, and, and those relationships just going back to the thing saying about trusting so there's also a part of me that thinks just just as man kind of fabricates god to give yeah. life meaning yeah are we fabricating soul making yeah to to give to give life meaning yeah thank you um so the, the question is man f- well, some people would say man fabricates God uh, to give life meaning. Uh, and the question is, are we fabricating soul-making? Um, so we could say yes, but it's it's just that the usual way we then understand that, that idea, it's like a certain level of understanding, we say life is ultimately meaningless, and, and the reality is there is no God. And, uh, and then what we're doing, because we can't, kind of handle that we're a little morally weak um we in invent things that make us feel a little bit better and more comforted um that's based on a certain kind of this is real meaninglessness is real soullessness is real uh godlessness is real you, you understand so it's in in the oftentimes in the framing of that kind of question there's already a reality assumption there i think partly what where I want to tie all this in business with emptiness is if we start with the idea of, okay, fabricate, you know, we fabricate, which we make up stuff or stuff gets kind of believed in or perceived or created. Then I have a question to investigate and it's a very deep thread of a question. What's not fabricated? So I can see, for example, and everyone in this room knows 
when you experience papancha, for example, and you're just lost in some blah, 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 and you come out of that and you think, huh, that was fabricated. You know, you, you, you gain your sanity again. So I know, okay, at that point, that's fabricated, all that nonsense, papancha, and that kind of mess that we get into. Um, and this is real, the hard reality of that, and I'm just, I can settle with that. What if we don't stop the investigation of what is fabricated right there? Keep keep going. I've seen Papancha is fabricated. What else is fabricated? Part of one way of understanding what Buddha Dharma is, that journey, is to keep open that question. What is fabricated? How do I know? Um, how can I investigate and see? So this sense of self, most people would take completely real. And then you start going in and out of different states of meditation. You start looking at what is it that makes this sense of self feel so convincingly solid and fixed, etc., at times, and then at other times not? What does it depend on? And then, and then at a certain point, you realize, goodness me, that, that sense of self is fabricated. And then maybe an even more subtle sense of self, etc. And the same with other realities. Now that's a, a, a long and profound journey. But at the end of it, let's say, one realizes, it's all fabricated. So there is no, life is like this, the universe is like this, there is godlessness, it's a, meaninglessness is an existential fact, etc. Et um, and we're just fabricating on top of a basic reality to kind of paint things pink. Um, it's, it's actually that it's all fabricated. That's an extremely deep insight. But I'm not asking anyone to believe that insight so much as Maybe invest. I mean, some people will just have an intuitive belief in that insight, and that's that's fine. But what if I actually, if I'm really ruthless and rigorous, and I say, let me find out what is fabricated and what is not fabricated, and then I just keep going with this question. I don't see, for instance, that papancha is fabricated or that meaning is fabricated. I I I follow it, and uh, and I go even deeper. Meaninglessness is also fabricated. Godlessness is fabricated. So that's that's one that's one way of, of uh, going going through. I we we have chosen the word soul making because it emphasizes the fact of fabrication. So it's actually yes, we're fabricating. Yes, and then and it's like why is that justifiable? You know, and and actually is that something beautiful? So participation is is a, is, a, is a, we'll get to this it's a much deeper more fuller word we participate in the creation and discovery of all of this all of this um, forgot what I was going to say is that how does that sound um is that, that enough for now? Yeah. So it's really good <coughs> to be skeptical and doubtful. But if you're going to be skeptical and doubtful, be vigorously, rigorously skeptical and doubtful. That is to, to everyone now. Yeah. Do you understand? You've got this question. Don't, it's like we settle so easily for, for answers and we rest in assumptions as human beings so easily, sometimes without even recognizing, oh, it's I don't know that. It's just an assumption. So what, what happens if we just keep this? It's a bit like what Catherine said today. And when we're doing, it's like, I know what reality is. Uh, can we keep that open as, a, as an exploration? Do you understand? 
that there's another thing that reminds me. Um, the other thing that we assume uh, is that the, the the generator or the fabricator, me or, or whatever, is 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 a real thing. So it's like this self is fabricating soul making. Actually, again, when we go deeper and deeper, you start to realize that self too is empty. The fabricator, the mind, the soul—they're all empty, and that, that's like there's no ground to any of it. And and it, it might sound a bit—I don't know how it sounds now, where it lands in different people—but the the deep felt realization of that is something truly magical. It's something wondrous and, and mystical. It's not something like. Well, that was a drag. Um, it's, it's something. It's hard to convey it in language, but and 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 the thrill of that journey as well. Just keeping this question open: What is fabricated? Is there an unfabricated? Is that real? What? Just just the the also the integrity and the and the power and, and the beauty of of that thread of the question. And it doesn't, to me, it doesn't come out somewhere nihilistic at all. It comes out as somewhere magical and mystical and um, w- with so much blessing to it and, and all of that. But maybe those aren't nice words. <laughs> 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 so, so, yeah, is that okay? Good. Um, <coughs> oh, yeah. This is still forming, um, <clears throat> but I've been... Re- reflecting on, or what's alive is these sort of layers of personal soul making um this collective here and then um if you could imagine the soul of the universe soul making um together and um and thinking about that in relation to social context um and the other day you used the word terminus, um i think as a vessel or a sacred space um and uh it has felt to me over the last few months of doing these practices that my, um, if you could call it an image library, just to be, um, to simplify, is shaped to some extent by dominant culture. Um, and uh, <laughs> personally, and then also collectively, and in some of my work of talking with other people and hearing their images, I realized um, like a colleague was giving, he's um, Afro-Caribbean, and he was talking about the Juba dance, which is, um, it arises from sort of this collective archive of trauma. It's performed, and then it disappears, and it's always new every single time. That was really rich for me, and I would not have known about that. And I think, but I'm not sure, that Temenos is also meant to include all archetypal cultural sort of elements, um, that it spans cultures, that it's not just sort of specific. So I guess I was wondering how, um, because you and Catherine have really elegantly laid down these, um, well, actually really woven us together in community, and and you even talked a little bit about the environment. So thinking about... Um, this group is not hugely diverse. So if we were in like Ghana, we would be having like very different images. Is there a way or or um, is it important to think about like how could we collectively contribute to, I don't know, a kind of an image library in the sense, you know, we can read about things, but even hearing 
yours and Catherine's, it's like, oh, there's, this is a, yeah, I forgot about that, or I've never been exposed to that. Mm. Does that make sense? I think so. Um, I'm not going to repeat it because you're sitting quite close, and I think everyone could hear that. Is that, is that yeah? Um, so some of it makes sense. Yeah, so uh, I... There was a bit about Temenos at the end that I didn't quite grasp, about Temenos being uh, spanning cultures. I thought it was meant to, but... Um, I, I was using the word, or have been using the word Temenos only occasionally so far to mean a kind of... Um, it, it's as if... When there's an image, um, whether it's just I'm just on my own practicing, or whether I'm in I'm practicing with others, like when we um, did the sharing, I can just track yesterday and uh, etc. There's um, we need to. It, it's like an alchemical vessel. It needs a vessel. Or when there's eros, it also needs a vessel. It needs a container and a boundary, without which it's it's kind of uh, the, the soul making can't happen. It it doesn't it doesn't really catch. Now some of you might have noticed already. You're in a group, or you're in a, one of those fours, or in a dyad, and someone says something, or Catherine or I share an image in a talk, and that image lands in your soul and uh, and and functions either as a spark for other images, or becomes an image for you. Um, do, do you understand? Or someone becomes an image. Catherine or I or or someone here or someone you know becomes an image for you, or again you you hear images. So, um, th- there's a way that that happens, but it needs a kind of temenos to happen. And uh, there's different different you know part is just sensitivity, presence, care. I think formalism also also helps. You know, I, I think in terms of the conceptual framework, what what we're trying to do is a little bit what you could call um, uh, a meta framework, M-E-T-A. In other words, we're not so interested in um, gathering together around a certain image. So, for instance, you know, in, in Christianity, you have the cross is one very potent image or the body of Christ, or or, all kinds of things. And there's a gathering together around a certain image. It's like community around around an image, a a commonality of people resonating with the same image, maybe different ways and at different depths. Um, Mostly, I mean, we might do that temporarily. So even when Catherine laid out those uh, artifacts uh, today, it's like we're sharing an image for for the space of a ritual. Um, and and some people will feel it more or, or less, but we're not kind of choosing certain images and then and then kind of making a religion out of those. Uh, and maybe that's something to do with Western culture. Maybe it's something to do with our personalities. Or um, it, it. I think what we're aiming for is 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 this sense of like images are infinite in in possibility and what we want to do is business of this node is the question of like what's common to the whole process and and the experience and the constellation around any particular image um do you understand so so that's kind of what we're teaching and then then you can take that anywhere you can use it in relation to any image or any sensing with soul it's like what what are the things that help this work yeah Partly it may be a response to just, we live at a certain time in Western culture, in a culture of individuality. 
we cannot erase that now. And that's difficult. It has its, certainly has its difficulties. The alienation that's so common, the loneliness, the sense of self-judgment or social anxiety. Do I look okay? Am I okay? Do I measure up? Am I good? You know, all that. Um, is endemic in Western culture because of the, the birth of the Western sense of self um, centuries ago, slowly, gradually, complex reasons. So that brings with it a kind of, curse is too strong a word, but challenges. But it also brings with it some gifts. It gives this gift of like, anyone here, any one of us, can have images in any direction suitable to our soul, let's say, our, they can be fed by anything at all, and, and it's like we follow our own kind of path there. Um, now, it may be that that just reflects, as I said, my, my inclination, Catherine's inclination, or it may be that there's something about Western culture at this time that needs that kind of openness, and more of a, a legitimization, because not only in Buddha Dharma, but also in the larger culture, we don't really have a legitimization, deep legitimization of the imagination. And so maybe there's something that needs a kind of structure that will legitimate, support practice and actually working and deepening, but much, much more freely and individually. Yeah. In terms of the, what you're calling the library of images, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, you have to kind of see, see what works. I think what I've tried to do sometimes in, in, in the last few years giving talks is give a whole range of images. So, you know, some are very kind of, you know, ethereal and blissful, and and some are, are kind of you know, seemingly violent and and devouring and bloody, and 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 some are very sexual, and some are very peaceful, and some are really unremarkable, and some are incredibly dramatic, and and it's more like partly what I'm trying to say is look at the range here. It's just again, it's endless. It's infinitely. Possible. There's an in, infinite possibilities there, so it could be that um, sharing images or get, receiving images from other cultures seed, seed ideas, you know, for you, for others, and we can do that with each other. But probably, probably, the thing that helps to seed images. Um, it's like if I open a book of mythology or whatever. I, I, personally, I often get quite bored quite quickly. Um, whereas if someone tells me an image, and it's alive for them, or if the writer is writing it in, in a book that, and it's alive, it's something about the aliveness of the soul-making spark in another that travels and plants a, plants a spark or ignites something in me, and then that maybe become soul-making. Do you understand? So we could make a library, but it's... I mean, and maybe... Um, I'm just speaking off the top of my head now, so I don't know. But m m maybe it's also necessary for, to to have that spark of ignition. So it has to be. We have to also receive the the soulfulness, not ju not just the, this is what it looked like. Did, I'm 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 guessing now, but I'm no, not sure. I yeah. think the, the the sense of limitation or shaping was. was yeah, ah, yeah. Thank you about. Uh, yeah. So about that as well. It's like. Um, as the soul-making thing gets going, and this may sound like a tall stretch to some people, but in time, everything gets gets kind of woven in or, 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 or brought in, involved into this kind of vortex of soul-making. So that, uh, I think I shared when Nick asked, it's like, so that even the things that happen to me that are difficult, my life, the events of my life, the, the things my life receives, 
beautiful and difficult are seen as given by soul, are sensed as given by the part of the grace, even when they're tragic. And um, and, and that kind of thing expands. And we could also say that the what's given to us culturally, both in my personal history and my cultural history, is given from the world soul, the anima mundi. So there's a kind of intelligence in what the unfold, I mean, there's a deep non-intelligence, but there's a kind of intelligence as well in the kind of unfolding of our culture and, and the images and the difficulties and challenges, environmental, political, social, all of that. It's kind of, it's given by soul to us together. And this is what we're faced with. And this is, this is our soul food. This is what we turn. This is what we need in the dough to, to, to become soul making. It can either be just a, it's just a, a shitty situation or whatever it is or or a wonderful gift of western culture or whatever or or it can be made into into soul soul stuff does that yeah but that's a whole other view of like what's giving both what's giving me both the images and even my history and this culture and the challenges and does this make sense so that's a whole other view and again it's like the, the concept, the logos, expands and goes to a view like that, and then it's like, whoa, then I get a whole different sense of what what life is and what the cosmos is and what's actually happening and what's unfolding. And, um, and again, it's like, okay, am I going to convince someone of that or argue that it's an absolute reality? Or is it, again, it's a poetic idea, but it can have so much power and beauty and a possibility to open the soul and... You understand, and it can have this sense of. I mean, this whole question of ontology is is huge, but um, uh, it it can have it can have real soul power. Let's just say that for now. Yeah. So that's also. So I have some questions on notes that I thought were um, <laughs> very helpful. I'm not, it, it, it's too late now, so I apologise for the people I said that I would get into that. Either I'll write to you or will. We'll do it together, otherwise it's, it's, it's tea time. I mean, I'm happy to go on, but it's maybe too much. answer a couple of short ones. So, Can you talk to me? Uh, don't worry about me. <laughs> uh, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? Is it? Um, as well as insight practice being a full or being a part to full and complete awakening, as well as meta practice being a part to full and complete awakening, but too. Um, and this is kind of piggybacking from Martin Davies' uh, question about you know, is this off paste, this imaginal practice? Uh, so my, I already know you're not going to say the imaginal practice is a part of full and complete because soul doesn't want a full stop. Uh, but is imaginal practice potentially a path to the unfabricated? And I'm kind of wondering about, um, maybe with it percolating for 24 hours, thinking of the um, Buddha on the night of his awakening, that he was doing imaginal practice. Mara was <coughs> sending him um, arrows and sexy ladies and <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, this this 
show is important because um, it's beautiful and meaningful and opening song of Kings. And so with this instead, um, they're kind of just ascetic voice, the monk voice, saying, like, you're not, you're not on the right path. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, so... Um, Again, this is, I think, important. So um, let me try and say a few things, uh, if I can track it. So I wonder if that picked up. Um, Lawrence is saying is reporting on a talk I gave some years ago, apparently, then said that emptiness, <laughs> <laughs> emptiness, um, following emptiness can lead to full awakening. Actually, let's say the unfabricated, yeah, or understanding emptiness. Um, Meta can also, which people often don't realize, meta as a path of insight and, and movement towards the unfabricated. And there's that whole possibility how that can work. It's very unusual. Um, samatha as well. People again don't don't think so you've got your you've got your samatha, you've got your calm, and then you've got your insight. And the calm is kind of you don't want to spend too much time there because it's the insight that's really liberating. Um, and what that does is just sharpen your mind, sharpen your manjushri short. Mandrishri's sword, <laughs> so that you can dissect reality. So that's kind of quite a common view. Um, but what I was uh, pointing to was the, the, f- the fact of a different way of understanding what's going on with the samatha, with the calming, with the jhanas that goes into uh, basically a spectrum of less fabrication. And then when I'm, again, and same thing with metta, if you do it certain ways, with a certain kind of approach, then one, one journeys in, into the unfab, into less and less fabrication. And there needs to be the question of like, how is it that this is happening? What is happening here? With an open-mindedness, not just assuming I'm basically repressing my emotions and ignoring everything, and that's why it all goes dark or, or quiet. Um, if we actually understand the process of things getting fabricated more or less, self, other, world, time, the whole shebang. So that that's all that business. Now, as I said, I can't remember when it was, a day or two ago. So there's that journey, and there's the possibility of the fullness of that journey, and then emerging different states of unfabricating into the unfabricated, opening to that. Some people would stop there. Some people would stop before that. Some people would stop there. But it's possible then to go even beyond that. And so, Because when you go that far, then you've got the unfabricated and the fabricated, and there's a kind of duality which some Buddha Dharma is very dualistic. This is all, it's just the realm of samsara and dukkha. It's really not worth much. It's only a place to get out from, not to be reborn in. It's not a popular teaching these days, but it's quite classical. There's a duality. The unfabricated is good, and the fabricated is not. Um, One can go, as Mahayana picks up, and goes beyond that, and sees even, we might say, the emptiness of the unfabricated. I'm just touching on this very quickly to get on to something else. Um, and then what that does is open up the possibility of fabrication, because fabrication is, is holy too. Uh, it's uh, sacred making. Yeah? So there's no duality, and all becomes uh, the, possi- the possibility, of, uh, there's the possibility of all becoming sacred. Is this okay so far? Yeah. Okay. With the imaginal, in a way, it's interesting. We could go around and ask everyone, we won't, but we could go around and ask everyone how much or what kind of permission and legitimization do you need 
to get into imaginal practice or, or sensing the soul. And for some people it will be exactly related to this question of fabrication. For some people it will be related to it where it fits in the context of Buddha Dharma. For some people it will be um, something about, well, you know, isn't it dangerous? Uh, for some people it will be, well, what about all that eros? Is it, you know, it, it, people will need different, different kind of permissions and legitimizations. Um, but there is a legitimization that can come strictly from that, that kind of really deep understanding of emptiness that liberates the possibility and legitimates the possibility of fabricating beautifully. Why? Because fabrication is empty too. There is no duality with the unfabricated. And one has sensed the, the, the equal holiness and non-duality of all things. Um, so the, that legitimizes it. Some people I found, so a lot of people, there's probably a, a, a real minority in this room right now of people who've actually practiced all that way with the emptiness in order for them, for them, in order then for it to liberate the permission for the imaginal. That happened to be <coughs> my path, but, but it's, it's very, it's not common. Other people need a very, they approach it with different different way. I'll talk about this tonight just a bit. It's like, what we need though is this sense of kind of neither real nor not real with the imaginal. And that can come through art, through that sensibility, through poetry, through literature. We have that sense there. Um, but I don't need to necessarily go through all that practice with, with the emptiness. Do you understand? Um, some people approach the imaginal, they're attracted to it, um, and start practicing with it before they've done all that emptiness business, or they've only done a little bit of it. And they find that, for instance, like we were talking with Nick yesterday, um, about one of the things you might see with the self-view is just this multiplicity of self-sense. And and you live it, and you feel it. And, and so it brings with it this kind of, well, which one is the real me? Which and it, it brings a loosening of the self sense, for example, and can bring a loosening and a liquefying of the world sense and the other sense. So there's a kind of way that something similar to the emptiness process, the loosening of that, the un unreifying of that, dereifying that can happen through imaginal practice. In so that's into em more emptiness, yeah, in, in this understanding of the non-inherent existence of things. In terms of unfabricated, this actually relates to a couple of the notes I had. So, guys, are you okay? It's quarter to seven. So, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, with the so, what can happen? A couple of people mentioned in their notes, um, uh, meditating and. Um, don't know how quickly to zip through this. That's the thing. Um, meditating on an image. In this case, it was uh, um, infinite. Uh, I, I first read um, what's well, infinite Aslan space. Do you know who Aslan is? I, I, I have to remember the lion, which in the world it's the lion. When I first read it, I thought it was infinite Asian space. And I, <laughs> anyway, it's infinite Aslan space. So, in other words, she she's got um, an Aslan is an imaginal figure for her with a history. And what can happen sometimes, sometimes is the image, the form of the image fades, and we kind of get to the essence. So it wasn't just space or just infinite space. It was 
space imbued with the essence and the character of Aslan and what everything, all the richness and the unendingness and the complexity of, of what Aslan meant, but without the form. You understand? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the thing about... The thi- now, now there's another one here which is a lot more complicated and I think I'll maybe talk to the person, but if I can just extract a couple of things from this. This is a person, it's a compliment to what I've just said about the Aslan. So the Aslan thing is very, whatever Aslan means, but it's very um, uh, beautiful goldenness and um, it's, it's a kind of simply pure, noble, etc. Everything that Aslan would, would kind of represent and more. Um, the other image were... Uh, I'll, I'll have to go through this quickly because it's complex, but it's really interesting. But um, were, were more uh, complex images and to do with destruction and death and, and suffering. Someone had an image of a skeleton and then the skeleton dissolved. And it had, the skeleton had been around for a long time, then it dissolved. This is quite surprising. And... Um, <clears throat> Uh, let me just find what you said. So, um, there was huge uh, love and joy emanating from the image, and I was plunged into sadness. Okay, so it wasn't like I'm guessing that the Aslan image was quite just lovely and radiant and noble and very uplifting and all that. Here was an, a, a more complex, emotion, emotionally more complex image uh, or sense. So the image faded, and there was a space. Um, uh, let's just find this, sorry. Uh, the skeleton collapsed, floated away, and there was liquid light slash love slash limitlessness and also sadness and grief. So something has happened. This image has not quite, it's not quite the essence of that image, but it has transformed and, and it's gone into a kind of boundless kind of samadhi space, similar to the boundless aslan. Um, which captures something of certain values and emotional resonances. It's not on the Buddha's map, okay? But what you find if you really get into jhana practice a lot and really play with it is the Buddha outlined A, but there's all kinds of cocktails and mixes and shadings and variations. There's, there's, there's a whole, again, probably infinite realm of possibilities there. So this is possible occasionally, is that the, the form of an image fades and the essence of it remains. Um, it could be an essence of loveliness. Here is this goddess. It could be a friend who's who I'm seeing, whose angelic form, and and I'm uh, meditating on that angelic form and her loveliness, his loveliness, their loveliness, and and then she he fades, and and I'm just with that loveliness. But it's particular. It's got the essence of that particular character in it. Do you understand? It's not just universal, generic loveliness. It could go a little step further into universal, generic loveliness. Then then we have to say, okay, now we're no longer doing imaginal practice because the image has gone, the particularity of the image has gone. Yet it still might be soul-making because it involves, it's like, as you said, wow. Um, there's something that the soul is expanding into and, and learning there. Um, so if this happens, I'm just mentioning because it's a couple of people, um, and the sadness is fine, it's, it, it, she goes on, um, 
I have lent into it, stayed with it. It's not a sorrow that contracts. So here, here's a clue. There's something soul-making and beautiful here. It is a, as expansive in the energy body as love and very beautiful. The sorrow was beautiful. So this is, again, characteristic of, of we can recognize the soul-making there. Um, unsure, and then she has a question about it, etc. Um, later, other images came back. Um, I won't be able to get into all of this now, but... Um, the point I want to make now is, so, if you, back to your original question, I would view it all. So if I view what's the practice we're doing, it's samatha, going towards unfabricated, this question that we, we have with Marianne, what is fabricated, what is not, what's all this got to do with fabric? Samatha, metta, emotional awareness, psychological healing, imaginal practice, uh, emptiness, it's, it's this big mandala. So it's a, it's a it's a big range, and it's all important. Um, so there's ways of going into the imaginal that loosen up the understanding of emptiness. We've said that. There's ways of going into the imaginal that kind of get to this essence, and they, then they move towards this unfabricating, this fading out of perception, like the jhanas, but they're kind of different. You understand? So with practice, you can kind of learn to lean it one way or another. So for example... Um, if I take the simpler one, the Aslan one, here's this infinite Aslan space, and it's really lovely. Now, there's probably in that mixture some kind of fundamentally jhanic quality, let's say equanimity. Um, and it's mixed in with all the things that Aslan is. So I could lean towards that or find it in the mix, attune to it, and, and it will, it will, uh, amplify out of the mix. And then I'm going, let's say, let's say it's equanimity. In that mix, I just tune more to the equanimity and it will go into the classical equanimity sort of fourth jhana. Or I can stay tuned just to the aslan thing and then it's a variation, yeah? Um, or it can go somewhere universal, etc. So there's a way it can go towards the unfabricate. It's quite rare and I wouldn't recommend doing it all the time because then you're losing the, if it goes too universal, it's great, but if you do it all the time, then you're losing the particularity of the imaginal practice. Is this making any, yeah? Um, so it's there. There's so many tributaries and kind of, it's, it's a endless world of wonder, you know. And uh, so you can do that. If you do it all the time, it will, it will take it a bit out of <coughs> what we're calling imaginal. Or you can stay with the essence at times, but, but you have to make sure that it's kind of got this particularity to it. So it's the same, that would be the same as saying an image could be very vague. I have the vague sense of a presence. I, I don't see it visually, I don't, but it's, it's something quite particular and it's speaking to me with all those particular resonances. Okay? Great. Wow. <laughs> 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 this, this, this is super quick. Um, it, it's, it's completely kind of related. Is, is the phrase to see or think this image equivalent to it's to see or think this image? Or are they kind of two sides of the coin? It's not quite equi equivalent, but they're related. <laughs> we, maybe we could pick that up. Maybe I'll pick it up tonight. Yeah. Let's, let's just have a bit of quiet, then the sea wash uppers will go, and, and we'll all meet back at 8.15 instead of 8. Is that okay? All right, so let's do
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.